Section 20 of Seven Roman Statesmen of the Later Republic by Charles Oman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7 Cato, Part 4. In BC 52 to 51, we find Cato for the first time in friendly relations with Pompey. He had at last convinced himself that nothing was to be feared from that quarter and that caesar was the real danger to the republic accordingly he turned to exhorting pompey to beware of his father-in-law you took him upon your shoulders eight years ago he said and now you begin to find him heavy you can neither support his weight nor cast him off probably you will both fall together and in your fall crush the republic in b c fifty cato was the soul of the party which had made up its mind that war with caesar was inevitable and that it was necessary to take the offensive against him it was he who urged that the great proconsul should be given a successor in each of his provinces as soon as possible and that all his many proposals for a compromise should be rejected pompey's vacillation drove him wild and when at last the news came that caesar had crossed the rubicon before any preparation to resist him had been made he could not restrain himself at the next meeting of the senate he spoke in the character of a despised and neglected prophet whose predictions had at last come true if the fathers had listened to him during the last ten years he said they would neither be living in deadly fear of the power of one man caesar nor putting their sole hope of defence in the strength of another man pompey nevertheless he supported the decree which placed the conduct of the war in the hands of the latter using the scornful argument that the authors of great evils should best know how they were to be cured when various senators were given charge of the different regions of the empire for the purpose of raising troops against caesar sicily was assigned to cato he went to syracuse in deep despondency but determined to do his duty from the day when the war broke out he never cut his hair nor shaved his beard nor wore a garland however the conflict might turn out it was a grief to him that he had to contend with roman citizens in sicily he had not long to stay for caesar's general polio crossed into the island before he could assemble a respectable force and he was forced to flee to pompey in epirus in the faction-ridden camp of the optimates he was a useful if not a cheerful figure it is true that he offended the more violent men by insisting that roman citizens must not be put to death except in battle and that there must be no proscription if they returned to italy victorious nor did he conciliate pompey when he bade him always to remember that he obeyed him as his military commander not as his party chief but he was so vigorous and untiring in his work of organizing the new legions and proved so capable of inspiring others with his own fire that he was perhaps the most valuable officer in the army his harangue to his own division before the battle of Dyrrhachium was long remembered abandoning his usual reserve as plutarch tells us he spoke to them of liberty and virtue of death and glory with such impassioned eloquence that they swore to follow him wherever he would lead and kept their promise in the ensuing battle they did their best 
drove back caesar's veterans and broke the lines of investment if pompey had known how to utilize a success as well as he knew how to win it the day might have been fatal to the enemy it is said that for a moment there had been a chance that cato might have been given the command of the whole optimate fleet which bibulus who was made admiral in his stead so grievously mismanaged but pompey on reflection came to the conclusion that though he would be an energetic lieutenant while the war lasted he would be a very uncomfortable colleague if it came to a successful end for he would certainly have used the naval force as a counterpoise to the army cato's old suspicions of the ex triumvir would certainly have revived and friction would have been inevitable yet it would surely have been better to have chanced future troubles and to have utilized for the present the services of a strenuous and capable officer to give bibulus or octavius the fleet was to risk everything indeed the failure of the whole campaign may be traced back to the fact that the inefficient blockade kept up by the pompeian admirals allowed caesar's reinforcements to get across to epirus if they had never been allowed to sail the optimates must have crushed their opponents by mere force of numbers when caesar struck inland pompey was compelled to change the theatre of operations to thessaly he left cato in charge of his base camp his treasure and his naval stores at Dyrrhachium, giving him fifteen cohorts for their guard this important charge kept him from being present at pharsalos if he had been there it is probable that he would not have survived the defeat for it is certain that he would not have been the man either to flee or to surrender as it was he found himself at the head of the only considerable fraction of the optimate army which had escaped destruction he crossed over with his fifteen cohorts to corsera where he joined the fleet a powerful armament was thus at his disposal but he would not take up the supreme command for he had discovered that there was a senior magistrate on the spot this was cicero to whom he insisted on turning over the charge of ships and men the unfortunate orator was placed in a most uncomfortable position for he intended to do anything rather than fight and was already meditating how best he might make his peace with caesar he refused to take over the command with every sign of alarm and so provoked the young gnaeus pompeius that he proposed to put him to death as a traitor cato though much disgusted with him succeeded in preserving his life and managed that he should escape by night to brundigium where he made his submission to the enemy nothing now remained save to take the relics of the army of epirus to the spot where they could be most useful cato resolved to join metellus scipio and king juba in africa the only province where a considerable force was still in arms for the republic accordingly he crossed the sea and landed at cyrene with ten thousand men he took them for a long march around the head of Sirtes to place them at Scipio's disposition. Refusing either to use a horse or to shield his head by a hat from the African sun, he marched for seven days on foot through the Tripolitan sands at the head of his troops and finally reached the African border. The whole Optimate army and Scipio himself wished that Cato should take command of the province, but constitutional etiquette as at corsera was in the way 
we are fighting caesar said he because he has broken the laws it would not be right that i should break them too by assuming superior authority over the head of a proconsul when i am only a propraetor so scipio though known by all to be rash and incapable kept the charge of the army while cato was placed in command of the base camp at utica he fortified the place with great care and collected vast magazines in it for the use of the field army his advice to the proconsul was to avoid a pitched battle at all costs and to wear down caesar's army by the african sun and the harassing assaults of juba's numidian cavalry but as might have been foreseen the stupid proconsul soon allowed himself to be lured into a battle and the disaster of thapsus followed once more cato found himself at the head of the mere wreck of an army and encompassed with a camp full of dispirited politicians who were thinking of making their submission to caesar at first he resolved to resist to the end and made every preparation to fight but he found that the roman residents of utica were intriguing to surrender the place to the enemy while the troops refused to shut themselves up in a city where there was a large population which might turn against them and admit caesar some of the soldiery informed cato that they would only stand a siege if they were first allowed to put to death or expel every one whom they suspected of treachery within the walls but he refused to listen to any proposals for a massacre whereupon they told him that they should march off into the interior and leave him to shift for himself abandoned by his troops and quite conscious that the utican senate was prepared to admit caesar the moment that he appeared cato thought that he had reached the limits of his responsibility it was still open to him to escape by sea and join the last desperate levies which the two young pompeys were collecting in baetica but it seemed to him that the cause of the republic was so hopelessly lost that any further struggle was useless he knew the two reckless and violent young men in spain too well to believe that if by some strange turn of luck they were to beat off caesar they would ever restore the old constitution of the state rome would merely get two tyrants instead of one it was not for him to protract the war for such an end all that remained was that he should seek the last refuge of the just man in the day of hopeless adversity a voluntary death the stoic creed of which he had always been such a faithful adherent supplied him with the advice which was necessary in such a crisis to fight was useless perhaps even harmful to surrender was dishonourable it only remained to die there was still a day or more at his disposition before caesar could arrive and this time he devoted to setting his house in order he procured shipping for all those who chose to fly to spain and saw them quit the harbour there remained with him none save his young son his friend statilius and two philosophers apollonides the stoic and demetrius the peripatetic who had accompanied him from cyprus after bathing he went to dinner he had invited the magistrates of utica to join him though he knew that they intended to surrender to caesar the next day throughout the meal he showed himself cheerful beyond his wont and led the conversation through many fields of philosophy in particular he dwelt long on the old stoic paradox that the good man only is free the bad man even in success a slave it was quite true he maintained he himself had 
done his duty and was therefore happy caesar had become the enemy of his country and so was the most miserable of all men he looked upon himself as the victor and the dictator as the vanquished to his son he left one legacy of advice to keep clear of politics in the rome of the immediate future he said you cannot fill any place in a way that would be worthy of your father to do it otherwise would be unworthy of yourself after the dinner was over he took a short walk in the dark with his son and his friends and retired to his chamber then he said farewell to all in such words that none could fail to guess his purpose when left alone he lay down on his bed and began to read plato concerning the immortality of the soul but he had not gone far before he missed his sword from its usual peg at the head of his couch his son had removed it when he guessed his father's intent with some displeasure he summoned the young man and asked him whether he desired to surrender him to caesar if this was his wish why had he not bound him and fettered his hands for a brave man did not need a sword if that was missing there were other if more painful ways to die then turning to the two philosophers he inquired whether they thought it likely that they could convince him that it would be wise or honourable to submit to caesar if not what course did they intend to propose to him the son and the philosophers withdrew in tears and seeing that nothing else was left sent in the sword by the hands of a slave cato tried its edge now at least i am master of myself he said and lying down again he twice read through the book on which he had been intent and he lay down for a short snatch of slumber but at dawn he woke and without further lingering stabbed himself as deeply as he could below the right breast the noise of his fall roused his friends who had been listening all night for some such noise with cruel kindness they bandaged his wound which was not necessarily mortal and laid him on his couch again but the moment that he came to himself he pulled away the bandages tore open the hurt and died in a few minutes caesar came up next day at first he tried to play the magnanimous part how could cato envy me the glory of pardoning him and saving his life he cried but his real feelings for the one man whom he could not bend were shown when not long afterwards he published his satire the anti-cato in this discreditable work he heaped together all the stories true or untrue which placed his enemy in a ludicrous light he did not shrink from saying that cato had passed the ashes of his brother's funeral pyre through a sieve in search of melted gold and that he had lent his wife to hortensius for valuable consideration but such slanders did more harm to the writer than to the subject of his libel caesar's pamphlet has long been forgotten and cato's life in spite of the sneers of mumpson and other blind worshippers of the dictator will long continue to appeal to all who love an honest man we no longer write tragedies to his glory we grant that he was a little impractical a little grotesque in short a magnificent anachronism yet we feel that it is well with the state which has such men ten catos might have saved the roman republic one could only be a voice crying in the wilderness prophesying the inevitable ill which unaided he could not ward off like the persian noble in herodotus he could exclaim what the gods have decreed it is not possible to avert but surely the direst of all human ills 
is to abound in knowledge yet to have no power to hold back the evil day end of section twenty